to Macintosh and Mod, haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Bugsy. The story of how Benjamin Bugsy Siegel started Las Vegas. Okay. Wow. This movie's movie is, bad. This movie's not good at all. Like, it's not even fun. It's just boring. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I will say this. There are moments that are definitely not boring, but are incredibly concerning. Mm-hmm. Like this is not okay. Yes, I've I've always done the research, so I understand the background here. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you learn more about our writer, you understand that this movie is a bit of a fever dream and a bit of a I don't know violence against women movie. Yeah, not great. Like nothing about this love story is useful or good or interesting. Nope. I mean, I think that's the problem I have with it is like you could do a biopic and all of those elements could be there. And I will also tell you that just based on the little bit of history that they have in the trivia, a lot of this is bullshit. Oh, yeah. A lot of this is completely not how things went down. And Siegel was much more of a just dark mafia villain than he was a sympathetic dreamer. Yes. And even then, there's a there's a way to play that movie. There really Mm -hmm. is. There's a way to play that movie of this absolute villain was also a visionary dreamer and let's play in that space. Yeah. But our writing went in the darkest, weirdest possible direction with it Mm -hmm. of a gross love story that doesn't make anybody look good. It's just so much exposition and I don't hate exposition when it's interesting. This was not interesting. Uh, oh, oh man! All right, well, there's there's very little to talk about this movie because it's just not good. Yeah, pretty much. It's just bad. Mm-hmm. The budget for this film was thirty million dollars. That's sixty five million three hundred seventy five in today's money. Okay. It made forty nine million dollars, or about a hundred and seven million dollars in today's money. Mm-hmm. So I guess it did fine. Okay. I mean, no one talks about this movie. I think rightfully so. Yeah. Like, there's n- there's nothing to talk about. It's not even particularly interesting or unique. The only reason to talk about it is for a series like this. Mm-hmm. Because just wait till we get to the nominations. Oh, Jesus. Despite a wave of gangster films throughout the 1960s and 70s, including Bonnie and Clyde, which we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. uh, this was the first to be made about Bugsy Siegel. Uh-huh. Although Roger Kahn, a very famous baseball writer who wrote the book about the 50s Dodgers. Uh, he was pretty nonplussed. He said, Bugsy Siegel is gently played by Warren Beatty in a popular 1991 movie who was in reality a savage hoodlum. Savage hoodlum. Yeah. I, I will say the one interesting thing about this is the Meyer Lansky and the Jewish mafia angle, mm-hmm. which I think is better explored uh, in Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in America, which is an okay. outstanding film. Really long, but really good. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get it, if you want to get the interesting side of like you had the Italians and the mafia, and then you had this portion of Jewish characters who came in and they could never be made men because they were Jewish. The Italians would not let them into the actual like inner circle, but they may have done more to legitimize the mafia's interest than anyone. Yeah. Put it this way, there's an actual story to be told about not just Siegel, but Meyer Lansky. Like, there's okay. a really interesting story to be told. And the history is fascinating because of where those characters, like, get involved in history and different moments in history. But 
this movie doesn't tell you any of that. No, it doesn't. <laughs> All right, so our writing, it's based on a book by Dean Jennings, who wrote the definitive story on Bugsy Siegel back in the 1950s. Our writer is a gentleman named James Toback. Before this, he wrote The Gambler, Fingers, Love and Money, Exposed, and The Pickup Artist. After this, he wrote Two Girls and a Guy, Black and White, Harvard Man, When Will I Be Loved, Tyson, Seduced and Abandoned, and An Imperfect Murder. Hmm. Here's where it gets bad. James Toback, in the wake of the Me Too movement and the Weinstein revelations, had 38 women come forward accusing him of sexual misconduct. Oh, joy. In the next year, 400 additional women claimed harassment from him. Oh, wow. And it ranges from sexual harassment to full-out sexual assault. Only five cases were investigated by authorities and all were dismissed due to statute of limitations issues, which we know was resolved as part of the Me Too movement. And I, I bring this up not just to say this guy's a bad dude. Mm-hmm. I bring it up because it shows in the writing. Oh, yeah. He does not like women. He views them as objects. Yeah. And he, the way he portrays Virginia Hill in this movie and Bugsy, it's... It's weird because it's not one of those cases where I would say, like, Virginia Hill is this just evil character, but he just portrays it as these two are destined for bad things because sex gets in the way of everything. Yeah. And then the sex that he portrays is grotesque. Yep. It's not good. <laughs> and and th- this is where I get into, like, there is a discourse to be had about when figures are shown to be gross dudes, mm-hmm. the fascinating part is to look back at their work and go, does it show in their work? And I'm, I really do think it shows in his, especially yes. in this movie, where you can yes. see all of the red flags just in how he's written this film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a boring movie to begin with, so the writing's just not good. But on top of that, it's just impossibly painful to watch. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't know his background. <laughs> yeah. And and the other big problem here is if the movie was just about Bugsy Siegel and he was not a great guy to women, well, whatever. There's there's the historical element. But the movie focuses on them. It's all about their relationship. Yeah. Which is just not good. Weird. It's weird too. What a dumb choice for a figure who loomed so large over American culture. Mm-hmm. And like it looks bad. We'll get to the directing in a bit, but I'm just like everything about the story and how this is put together, it makes it impossible to tell a decent story. You could yes. throw everything at it that you could, and everything that he put into the script just makes it unworkable, mm-hmm. unwatchable. <sighs> okay, I promise we're past the worst part of this discussion, though. Okay. Toback was apparently six years late delivering the screenplay. Mm-hmm. He wrote it as a 400-page treatment and then lost that treatment under uncertain, strange circumstances. That's all the trivia tells me. Mm-hmm. Then he wrote a screenplay for it that was somewhere between three and a half and four hours long. Can you imagine this movie double its length, Diana? No. This is so boring of a movie. Like, uh, why would you add more to it? So it took our director and our star to whittle it down to a final product of a movie. It's still too much. Oh, man. By a lot. (laughs) Okay. 
All right. Let's maybe talk about some of the at least decent things about the movie. Okay. <laughs> so we've gotten past that part. Let's talk about our director, gentleman by the name of Barry Levinson. Okay. He's been on this show a few times. Yeah. This is his fourth movie on our show. Okay. We're we're fans of Barry Levinson. Sure. We like his stuff. I don't think he does a bad job. But he doesn't do a good job. I'll tell you this. He made it look great. I mean, when when the iconic shot needs to come up, you know, either of him in the desert or of outside the casino or just, you know, in the middle of the movie set, it looks great. Mm-hmm. And I think the actors are decent. They're doing their job, but it's just not interesting at all what they're doing. R- right. Well, I, again, I I don't think this is anybody's fault but Tobacks. I mean, and that's not to say that the that anything anybody's doing is amazing and can mm-hmm. in any way approach like transcending the movie, but it's a competently made movie. <laughs> like I'm not I'm not going to give Levinson like all this discredit in the world for making it. It's just nothing it's it's nothing special for a nothing story. Yeah. You had to do a whole lot more to make this more watchable. Mhm. And rightfully or wrongfully, he saw this as he just wanted to portray this guy in his natural environment. But it just everything he does just adds to the weirdness and darkness and ickiness of what Toback wrote. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the biggest failure on his part is he didn't soften it and he didn't make it watchable. He made it almost more grotesque. Like I think back to the scene with when he pulls the the mafia boss who stole from him and then he makes him like humiliate himself. Yeah. In this really pseudo sexual sadist scene of yep. like this doesn't make any sense, especially for what we see later from the character. Like we know he's wants he wants to keep his power and stuff, but it's like come come on, you don't need to go this far. Nope. It's not great, Barry. I know you can do better. <laughs> Bugsy's clothes were near clones of those worn by the actual Bugsy Siegel, including his cigarette lighter and cufflinks, which were monogrammed in Siegel's style. That's cool. Let's talk about some who could have been betters. Mm. James Toback. He wrote the movie intending to direct it himself. Can you fucking imagine what a gross movie this would be? Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some who could have been betters not with our writer. Okay. Peter Bogdanovich planned a biopic with Universal in 1974, fresh off of his movie, The Last Picture Show. Okay. I think it would have been a similar story with Peter, but I also know from Peter's movies, I think he would have done a better job of showing, not telling. Yes. That's so much of the problem with this. It's not like it's hard for us to know, oh, he's in Vegas. Oh, he's dreaming of a hotel. Yeah. Like, you don't have to telegraph every part of this movie for us. We get mm-hmm. what's going on. <laughs> there, There's some exposition you have to do because we don't necessarily know who Meyer Lansky is and who Bugsy Siegel is. Although, if you've seen The Godfather Part 2, you kind of know who Meyer Lansky is. Yeah. Because he's a featured character. Um, But yeah, like, you you get the point. So I he it would have been interesting. And this is a 70s movie as, you know, almost a a, a slightly more romantic take on the godfather that could be interesting Mm. and here's a really interesting one jean-luc godard the french new wave director was obsessed with bugsy siegel in the late 1970s and he wrote a screenplay he called the story i'm sure he would have titled it 
if he had actually gotten it to fruition, but mm-hmm. he, he just had this in his head. He wanted to cast Robert De Niro and Diane Keaton as Bugsy and Virginia Hill. No. <laughs> I mean, that would have been a really interesting dynamic, but no. I don't know, man. Jean-Luc Godard with those two actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, Diane Keaton, that it took too long and she lost interest in the project mm-hmm. and it kind of fell apart. So Godard moved on to a return to commercial filmmaking with Every Man for Himself. But an excerpt from the draft of the film can be found in his 1985 book, Godard on Godard. Mm-hmm. So if you're ever interested in what could have been, you can see a little bit. <sighs> All right. Let's talk about our cast. They're they're fine. They're doing good. I'm not going to complain. Let's talk about Warren Beatty as Bugsy Siegel. We talked about him for Bonnie and Clyde. We talked about him in Shampoo. We've had our problems. I don't think he's that bad in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's doing his damnedest for the character, and he's consistent, which yeah, is more than I, I can guess. say for the other two movies. Mm-hmm. Like Shampoo, he was completely checked out or stoned out of his mind. Mm-hmm. Bonnie and Clyde buys in, but in this one, he's fully bought into the character. Yeah. I don't like the character. I don't like what's written on the page, but I believe him as the character, which is just like, mm-hmm. okay, this is refreshing. I, Warren Beatty is actually a good actor. <laughs> yes, he is. I, I can remind myself of that fact. And I, that was at least a nice surprise, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to judge anybody's performance in this movie, guys. Oh, yes. All right. Who could have been better? In a planned version in 1967, Tony Curtis was up for this role. I can see that. Then we have Annette Benning as Virginia Hill. Mm. We have also talked about her before in The Kids Are All Right, another movie we hated. How do we feel about Annette Benning in this movie? I mean, I like that she's not like this like weak woman. Like she's got She's a very strong woman in this movie. And like, she doesn't just like sit by a lot of times. Like she, I mean, like she's got a plan to take his money because she knows this ain't going to last. Oh, for sure. I mean, she still loves him, but like, it's a whole thing. I like it. She's great. She does a great job. It just, again, it's a great job with nothing. Yeah. For, yeah, for nothing. She's such a compelling, interesting character. It could totally be a fun film noir with all of the different twisty intrigue that she dealt with with him. Mm -hmm. But then it's just like, but you ruin it by making their relationship so disgusting. Oh, yeah. I will say, though, this is the movie where she and Warren Beatty met and fell in love. And they're married to this day. She made an honest man out of him. Yeah. He was was Warren Beatty. He was Warren Beatty. He was a slutty dude. Mm -hmm. No judgment. Well, a little judgment because he's also an asshole. But... Yeah, who could have been better michelle pfeiffer i see that she actually would take over the catwoman role when annette benning had to drop out of batman returns Mm. Mm. we could have had annette benning as catwoman that would have been interesting uh she wouldn't have done unhinged as well as michelle pfeiffer does i'm so glad we got michelle pfeiffer for Mm -hmm. that role (laughs) it's iconic i ain't mad uh also ellen barkin Mm. or gina davis Davis all day, every day for everything. Please. Love me some Gina Davis. Next up, Harvey Keitel as Mickey Cohen. We've already talked about him in this series. Yeah, he's great. He's fucking great in this movie. Love Harvey Keitel. Well, he's the one character in this movie I want to continue watching the entire time. Yes. He's so rock solid. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a little bit in his wheelhouse, but... He brings, 
he brings a level of thoughtfulness to this hood character that like I don't I don't know that he would have necessarily done this earlier in his career. Although I say that him and Taxi Driver was still incredible because he was believable as that guy. Yeah. He was grotesque and a caricature, but he made it real. Mm-hmm. And he does the same thing here. He he's the only person who like seemed to read the script and go, well, this is some bullshit, but I'm going to play it the way I need to play it. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I would watch a whole movie just about him in this character. I really would. Oh, yes. He actually appeared as Bugsy Siegel in a 1974 TV movie that was made centering around Virginia Hill. Okay. And finally, for our main cast, we have Sir Ben Kingsley as Meyer Lansky. Again, very good. Would watch a whole movie with him in this role. Oh, yeah. I mean, Ben Kingsley is amazing. But I mean, in this specific role, he's so fucking good. Yes. He's such a good chameleon transform. I mean, the fact that his first major movie is Gandhi and it's just like, oh, he was Gandhi. <laughs> he just was on screen. Same thing with this. He just turns into Meyer Lansky. Oh, yeah. You're like, I. you forget it's Ben Kingsley part of the time. Like, it takes a little bit to recognize, oh, yeah, that's him. It's just he does such a transformation in his character. And again, I would I would watch a movie about him, but not this stupid relationship. Ugh. All right, let's talk Arpons, because holy shit, are there a lot. Mm-hmm. We have Elliot Gould as Harry Greenberg. Ugh, what a sad sack, sad role for him. <laughs> yeah, it's not happy. No, but it's what happened. Yeah. Uh, Joe Mantegna playing George Raft. He is a real actor who appeared in the film Manpower, the film that Siegel visits him. He also appeared in Some Like It Hot. He was Spatz Columbo. Mm. Richard C. Serafian as Jack Dragna, the L.A. mob boss that uh, Siegel meets. He is the director of cl- some classic cult films from the 70s, including Vanishing Point. B.B. Mm. Newworth as the Countess de Frasso. It's Lilith. Okay. I mean, she's a legend, but she'll always be Lilith. Kimberly McCullough playing Barbara Siegel, their daughter. She went on to play Amy in Legally Blonde and does a lot of TV directing now. Okay. Bill Graham playing Charlie Luciano. He is a famous concert promoter who played the same kind of role in A Star is Born 76 and in Apocalypse Now. As Gus Greenbaum, James Toback. He really likes to appear in his own movies. But he's not making movies anymore because he's gone. No. Ray McKinnon as David Hinton. He is the preacher from Deadwood. He was on Sons of Anarchy. He was one of the flight tech guys in Apollo 13. He's a guy you know him when you see him. Mm-hmm. Eric Christmas as Ronald the Butler. He is the priest from Harold and Maude. Wendy Malick as the a woman on train. Scrooge, just shoot me. The Emperor's new groove. We love her. Oh, she's so bad. Peter Giuliano as the assistant director for Manpower. He was the first assistant director for this movie. I mean, fair. It's easy to cast your own crew for those roles. Yeah. And as the casting director doing the screen test for Bugsy, Barry Levinson. Mm. It's a smart move. All right, Diana. Oh, no. This movie was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. 10? 10. No. It had the most nominations of any film this year. No. Some of these I don't think you'll dispute, okay? Fine. 
Best art set decoration. All right. Best costume design. Okay. Best original score from Ennio Morricone. It's a good score. It's a really good score. It's not bad. It's not. I don't think it's amazing, but. I think it's pretty good. Best cinematography. I'm not mad about the nomination. I don't think it should win. No. But I'm not mad about the nod. I'll let him have it. Everyone looks pretty, so okay. Best original screenplay. Fuck off. (laughs) Fuck no. Best director. Also no. Not as mad, but no. (laughs) No. This is filler at this point. Best supporting actor for Ben Kingsley. Sure. Best supporting actor for Harvey Keitel. Yes, please. Best actor for Warren Beatty. Nah. No. Again, filler. Those two supporting roles were outstanding. The two leads were good and solid, but they're hampered by the script. And there's no way I can put them in that category because they don't push past the script at Mm -hmm. all. Again, they did great work or they did solid work, but not Academy Award level work. Mm -hmm. And best picture. I'm again, it's one of those movies where it's like, well, all the pretty things are good and there's some good acting, but some of this stuff, guys, the screenplay. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. People must have just been so shocked that they were like, this must be good because it's it's so dark. No. All right. Let's get a little bit of trivia here. Most of the scenes of the construction of the Flamingo Hotel were filmed in Palm Desert and La Quinta, California, where they built a full-size replica of the Flamingo from the 60s, which, I mean, let's be clear, is beautiful. Okay. The film shows Bugsy Siegel watching his own screen test. In real life, he made tons of friends with the Hollywood elite and requested and was given a screen test. Okay. That film no longer exists, but the legend still continues, and Bugsy Siegel has always been tied to Hollywood in that way. Again, the Academy loves a movie about itself, even when it's real tangential. Yeah, I mean, fair. While the film suggests that Bugsy and Virginia Hill met on a movie set, they had actually met several years earlier. They had an affair while Hill was still dating Joe Adonis. Okay. Costume designer Albert Wolski dressed almost 2,000 people for the film, finding vintage clothes for almost all of them. So there, everybody in this movie is actual extras, which that gives me some better context for the costume design nod. Yeah. Per the LA Times, the costume budget for the film was $1,500,000. Okay. Real estate mogul Del E. Webb was the main contractor for the Flamingo. At one point, he recalled Bugsy confiding in him, you know, I've probably killed at least a dozen guys. Webb, who was not a mobster, became very uneasy. And then he said that Bugsy laughed and added, ah, but you've got nothing to worry about, Dell. We only kill each other. (laughs) It's a pretty good story. Yeah. Probably the biggest historical mistake about this movie, though, is that Bugsy Siegel didn't dream up the strip on his own. The Flamingo was the third major casino on the strip. And it was the idea of a guy named Billy Wilkerson. He was a longtime gambler and wanted to make a place that was like his L.A. nightclubs. Siegel became Wilkerson's partner and eventually took over the project. Mm. So this is all bullshit. This is all for nothing. Yeah. I like it much better if Bugsy's like, wait a minute. I see something so much bigger. Mm -hmm. I'm going to muscle this guy out (laughs) and then I'm going to take over the Flamingo. Mm -hmm. What a better movie, right? Oh, yeah. I got to be real with y'all. When it comes to telling history, I swear to God, just tell history. 
Yeah. Like, if you have to conflate timelines to get things into a certain runtime, I totally get it. Yeah. But tell the actual fucking story. <laughs> because it's always, always more interesting than the bullshit you can come up with in your head. Yep. And finally, the movie came in a week over schedule and $1 million over budget, the exact same amount that Bugsy proposed to Meyer Lansky to build the Flamingo. And that leads us to ratings. For every film, we have a specific rating system. For this movie... Flamingos. All right, fair. I I, I can't care at all about what the rating is for this. Mm -hmm. I'm going one and a half. Yeah. That feels fair. I don't want to go too, too low here because it is a well-made movie. Mm -hmm. There are some very good moments. There are some interesting things happening. So it's not a total disaster. Yeah. But it does the double whammy of being boring and then being gross. Yep. And man, you cannot come back from that Mm -hmm. at all. And then nobody's... You know, there's only a few moments because they're supporting performances that actually go beyond what's there to where it's just like, it's just an unwatchable mess. There's nothing fun about this. Movie. The only, th- I, I'll, I'll correct that. The only thing that I feel like was actually fun was when they stop in the desert and he's like, whoa, inspiration has hit. That's fun because you're like, all right, this is when Vegas was nothing. It was just sand in the middle of nowhere. And that's cool. But nothing else is fun. This could have been an amazing dark comedy. It could have. A very dark comedy where it's all, he's got this intense dream in his head and he's so out of whack. And then it's countered by those moments of violence and outburst. And it would be really cool. Like you play it straight, but it's so funny just because of how intense he is about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. there's none of that. It just they just sapped any of that out of it to where mm-hmm. it's just a slog. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Don't let bad people make movies. Yeah. And Barry Levinson, I forgive you. You've given us several good movies to watch, so we'll allow you one. All right. Well, now, now we're coming to probably the biggest, deepest movie we have to talk about for the series, Diana. Oh. We're going back to November twenty second, nineteen sixty three. Oh, okay. Back. And to the left. Back and to the left. Because we're watching JFK. Jesus. I have never seen this movie. Same. I I remember when it came out. I very much remember the Seinfeld story about it. And also, you know, we're from Dallas. We're very familiar with that date. The movie itself looms as large in culture as the assassination at this point. Sure. So I'm I'm interested. I don't know how to feel. I've heard various sides about this, so I'm I'm interested to finally see it for myself and finally go, okay, mm-hmm. I've done it. <laughs> ah, just another three-hour movie to sit through. <laughs> but before we go, we have some new movies to talk about. New movies. First we watched Avatar. A paraplegic marine dispatched to the moon Pandora on a unique mission becomes torn between following his orders and protecting the world he feels is his home. Okay, I know technically this isn't a new movie, but David and I have avoided seeing this film for a solid 13 years. Mm -hmm. But now with this year's Oscars, uh, in order to see the new one, we needed to see the old one, which happens to be streaming on Disney+. Plus. Yes. 
You know, I understand why people like this movie. I do. I get it. Like, okay, we're in a new world. You can uh, pretend to be somebody else. Cool. I really don't love the ableism, the colonialism, the white saviorism. I don't like any of that. Which were all comments made at the time. Sure. I am of such two minds with this movie. Yes. Like, first of all, all of that was bullshit back at its time. And, it, and it's, been commented, it's been commented on. And I think Cameron has even, like, said as much as, like, if I had a chance to do it over, I'd probably change some shit. Like... It was but, never- it w- but it was also 2009, and we weren't talking about some of those things, especially not him. No, not him. And it wasn't, honestly, as is usually the case with Cameron, it's not really about the story. It's about the new toys he made and how to use them with film. That's what it was about. And that's still what it's about. God damn it. If he, I mean, again, everybody knows you just you just don't bet against the man at this point. I mean, okay, so... First one, this story is really not that interesting, but it's cool. It, and we get why people like it. Okay, fine. Um, so we go into the second one and, of course, you know, we're big Alamo Drafthouse fans. And, of course, they have, like, all of the stuff about Pandora and, like, all of the the different, like, spinoffs and spoofs about Avatar. And then they have this little sequence of, like, you don't bet against Jim Cameron. You just don't. And they went through all of his movies. It's like, people didn't want to do this. People didn't want to pay for this. People didn't really care about Terminator. And then, oh, fuck, this movie's awesome. He fronted like half the money to make Titanic. Yeah. Because nobody wanted to touch that movie. Well, it well it got too, too expensive. Yeah. And same thing with Avatar. It just becomes like, I'll take no salary and just take points. And then I'll also put money in so that this movie can get made. And also, I mean, I'm sure it's starting to be talked about a little bit more since the movie's out is how much money him and his production company put into just research, R&D, to make this film so that they could do all the water shit. And they filmed a lot of that underwater, too. Like, Mm -hmm. it's nuts. And you can't deny this man's passion for movie making. Like, and the way we talk about Tom Cruise, and like, he just loves to make movies. He wants to experience a movie. He wants to do fun shit. James Cameron is the exact same energy. It's just behind the camera. Yeah. He wants to make fucking cameras. He did. He went to, he went to, uh, what's it? He went to one of the companies and said, hey, you have to make me this camera so that I can do this. And they're like, all right, fine. He's, they're paying. They're They're getting the money to do it. So who cares? Like, I mean, at second film, it's like the first one only with water. Avatar, the way of water, Jake Sully lives with his newfound family formed on the extrasolar moon Pandora. Once a familiar threat returns to finish what was previously started, Jake must work with Natiri and the army of the Navi race to protect their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is. But again, there's cool shit. There is cool shit. There's cool shit. Um, I also particularly love that they um, invented, with with the help of members of the deaf community particularly uh, one specific deaf actor i cannot remember i saw an interview with them the other day to come up with a sign language so that they can communicate underwater yeah which i thought was really cool there's no denying all this stuff and with both of these movies for me the problem mm-hmm. for me comes back to i don't care about the story the Correct. story is so lowest common denominator mm-hmm. that it makes the movie less enjoyable to me but if you're going in to just watch a pure movie experience, which a lot of people love, this is why people really loved Elvis. 
like legitimately yeah. loved Elvis because they were just like, look at all the shit you get to do. And see, I felt that way about Nope and about Everything Everywhere All at Once, which people are having a backlash to, and that happens. I felt the same way, but that was because the storytelling was so audacious. Mm-hmm. We're storytelling first. That's what we like in our movies. Yeah, we can forgive a lot of things if the storytelling is amazing. And for a lot of people, they're in it for like the movie experience, the big movie thing. Which we're not we're not against a good experience. And that's why I sort of go with this movie and I go, I don't love it, but I don't I can't discount what is so good about it. Sure. And while I don't love that it knocked out some probably more deserving movies from the best picture nods. Yeah. In particular, I'm I'm not happy that Wakanda Forever is not in there, especially having seen this and having seen Elvis. Correct. I understand what those movies represent, but I think Top Gun did a better job of what these two of what Avatar 2 and Elvis did, mm-hmm. and it did it with a compelling story. And Wakanda Forever has the same. Yeah. And so I don't like that this movie kicked it out, but I also totally get why there are Academy voters who see this movie and see, hey, man, we need to make sure that we promote films that do this. Yeah, it's the argument of we need the whole like, well, you don't have to like Avatar, but it just paid for a ton of other films to get made. Those smaller films that we do truly love, those get made now because of this, which is just the business. And I'm not against that either. This is where I go back to an argument that we've had a lot is that like, okay, these big blockbuster films, like all of the Marvel films, with the exception of the Wakanda films, which are just like fucking art that happen to take place with people with superpowers. Those films, we like if you want them to get recognized, then lobby with the appropriate guilds to create awards that would celebrate this the things that those films bring you want to have an innovation oscar go for it but set the parameters and decide what it means to innovate for filmmaking well and we do that's what the technical awards are for to a degree but it the, i don't think those ghosts far enough so with avatar there's one interesting wrinkle mm-hmm. and it's where i would you know a movie like top gun i think while I do think it was one of the best movies of the year, and I'm not necessarily mad about its nomination there. Mm -hmm. The argument for a lot of people for Top Gun is, even more than Avatar, Top Gun saved the movie industry when it came out. Because the timing of when it came out Mm -hmm. totally revived the industry for the year. And so there's a lot of people who believe that the insiders, that's why it got such a movement for nominations. Where Avatar comes in is that not only is it that, and it's making a ton of money, but it is also purely out of the mind of a single artist. And there is a level at which a lot of people point to, we don't just want to celebrate movies that that are big budget and make money, like Marvel. We want to celebrate movies that are big budget and make money from people who are dreaming big about what you can do with movies. Sure. I wouldn't expect Stevens Indiana Jones to get a Best Picture nomination, because it's not like he's inventing anything new there. And there's a whole bunch of studio hands. James Cameron was like, I'm making this movie come hell or high water. And if anybody's going to come in with me, fine. But I'm making this giant thing and it's going to make a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And he's betting on himself. The industry wants to protect that to some degree. Yeah, I get that. 
And I I can appreciate that perspective. There are a lot of people who are like, there was somebody who gave a positive review to Babylon. And I don't agree with it, but I thought it was fascinating. It was like, while I don't agree with a lot of these choices, I'm happy that somebody can take this much money to make some piece of art. And whether it works or not, they got to do it. And we should encourage that in movies. And I'm like, you know, that's not a bad point. No, and we're not against that either. And I think that's what Avatar represents to the Academy is big swings and it succeeded. So it's getting that recognition. Mm -hmm. Again, Wakanda Forever should be in that fucking list because it's much better story. It swung big too. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) I get where the response is. And ultimately it's like, these movies may just not be for me, but they're not bad. Yeah, I, 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 we've seen way worse films. And that's, I mean, that's just fine. That's just what it is. Just please make them like 30 minutes less, okay? For fuck's sake. Yeah, we spent a full hour before we got to the problem that we knew was going to be the problem. Oh my God. You're such a good director. I don't need three hours of this three more times mm-hmm. because we're doing all the sequels. It made so much money. The new one has already made like $2 billion. Like it's fucking insane. Yeah. And again, never bet against James Cameron. I'll never talk trash about the man again, ever. As long as I live, I had zero expectations and my God, he blew it out of the water. But for fuck's sake, bring it in at two and a half. Okay, man. Yep. I can't, I can't do it three more times. No, thank you. (sighs) Well, until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.